0: Hey everyone, Basil here. You're listening to the Canary Cry Radio. The Canary Cry Radio.
1: The pre-episode pitch for...
0: <laughs> the USB Archive Project. Yeah! So as many of you know already, because we've announced it the past two episodes, I believe?
1: Yep. Yeah. Two episodes. Episode and a flyby.
0: There you go. We are putting together the Canary Cry Radio USB Archive Project. And what this is, for those of you who don't know, it's a credit card-sized USB drive. It goes in your credit card holder, <laughs> also known as your wallet, or your purse, or your drawer, or your uh, uh, your, your your fanny pack, deck of cards, maybe a satchel. You could really your
1: fanny pack. Did you say you, that? Yeah. Oh.
0: You can put it in your sock. I don't listen to you. It goes in most things. So it's very convenient. Also, it's waterproof and awesome. And what this is for is um, the idea behind it is that for those who feel like they are, are blessed by Canary Cry Radio in any way, uh, whether it be spiritually, mentally, uh, physically, you know, a lot of people listen to it at the gym. It's it yeah. pumped up. Yeah. You go, girl.
1: Nephilim talk.
0: Squats. <laughs> or something. One more. Oh. Is that an exercise?
1: Squats, yeah. Yeah,
0: okay. Yeah, pump it. Pump it. <laughs> guy, guy doing the, the arm machine. You got it, buddy. Bicep curls. You Bicep curls. The running doodad. The thing where you run. Do it. You got it.
1: Okay, so anyway...
0: Anyways, so if you feel blessed by Canary Cry Radio at all and you feel like, uh, you know, the Lord's just tugging on your heart to help us out financially, keep the lights on over here, keep us on the internet, if you go to canarycryradio.com at the support tab, there will be a button that you can sign up for a $15 a month gift. And as a thank you for that, we will send you one of these USB hard drive Arch- USB nice. archives, not a hard drive, flash drive, and what's what's going to be on there, guns?
1: All 100 episodes, all probably 20 or more flybys, all the yep. artwork for every episode, yep. some music that I will put together, mostly some of the intro music. It'll be a kind of a playlist yeah. and a little doodle from Basil and I talking about all the episodes and just a reflection of reflection,
0: reflection notes on each of the episodes, because you know, things change or they don't, or maybe reflecting on how maybe some uh, uh, predictions we've made have come true. Hey, Hey, all of them. Teleporting to Mars, um, all that sort of stuff. Anti-gravity craft. Anti-gravity. Yeah. The Lexus just came out with their, Hoverboard video. Have you seen that?
1: I haven't seen the video. I, I heard the announcement. A yeah, few weeks the ago. video
0: just came out today. It's a hoverboard, and there's all this like steam that comes out of it. So it makes me, um, it, it's very reminiscent of the very popular quantum locking technology. And it kind of seems that something like that is happening, or maybe super cooled magnets. I'm not really sure. Go check it out. Lexus hoverboard. Oh, Here's is it video. the same
1: technology that was used for, um, I made a video about it a while ago. I can't I remember believe what it was so.
0: called. Anyways, so if you're interested in getting a USB archive thingy from <laughs> Canary Cry Radio, <laughs> all you have to do is go to Canary Cry Radio, go to the support tab, there's a button. And there you go. You just got it. It's there.
1: And those of you who have signed up already, awesome. Dude. Thank you Lu- so much. Lucky ducks. Lucky ducks.
0: <laughs> lucky ducks.
1: And, um, we and should, yes, uh,
0: they will be shipping after the 100th episode of canary cry radio so so we are quickly approaching yeah so get on it quick folks all right well i guess we can get to the episode let's
1: do it
2: you're listening to canary cry radio I am Lucifer. Okay, define Lucifer for me. Pure, virtuous, wholesome, innocent individual that's out to help people. Lucifer is? Yeah.
0: Say that again. Lucifer is a pure, holy... Virtuous. Virtuous. Now, is he the Lucifer that God created?
2: That's the same one. Did you know that 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were Freemasons? George Washington Benjamin Franklin James Monroe John Jay John Hancock Paul Revere John Paul Jones and James Bogus What are the rites, rituals, and philosophy of Freemasonry? What is the consistent teaching of the church regarding it? Can Christians seek membership in the Lodge? Is Freemasonry compatible with sacred scripture and church teaching? This can be seen also in the simple initiation ritual, where a child has to give up its childhood and become an adult, has to die, you might say. The story is he ascended bodily to heaven. The story is that his mother, still alive, asleep, ascended to heaven. So this is metaphorical of something. You don't have to throw it away. You have to find is what it's saying. What do you think it is saying? What it's saying is he didn't go out there. He went in here. and This is where you must go too. And, and ascend to heaven through the inward space to that source from which you and all life came. That's the sense of that. But aren't you undermining one of the great cardinal doctrines of the traditional
3: classic Christian faith? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus prefiguring our own and overcoming
2: the body with a higher physical truth. Well, that would, that would be what I would call a mistaken reading of the symbol. That's reading it in terms of prose instead of in terms of poetry. That's reading it in, that's reading a metaphor in terms of the denotation instead of in terms of the connotation, if you understand. It's a purely literary problem the poetry gets to the unseen reality that which is beyond even the concept of reality which transcends all thought
3: here's basil and Gons.
0: hey everybody and welcome to canary cry radio my name's basil
1: and this is Gon's. Welcome to episode number 97. 97? Just keeps getting bigger. <laughs> uh, that, that one's was, so old.
0: It never gets old, man.
1: Yeah. Well, the powers of symbols have been at the heart of the occult hierarchy for centuries. Hidden meanings embedded within this sacred language have been passed down from each generation of initiates, getting buried deeper and deeper under the layers of history, mythology, and philosophy. The attempt to uncover the gems of truth forged deep within this labyrinth is not an easy task. But luckily, we have researchers like Mark Flynn to help us grasp what the true agenda of the so-called Illumined Ones have in mind for America and the world. Mark is the twin brother of the late author David Flynn, whose groundbreaking research led to the publishing of Sidonia, The Secret Chronicles of Mars, and The Temple at the Center of Time, both considered classics in fringe Christian research. Keeping with the Flynn tradition of publishing groundbreaking books, Mark is the author of Forbidden Secrets of the Labyrinth, The Awakened Ones, The Hidden Destiny of America, and The Day After Tomorrow. We want to welcome Mark A. Flynn to Canary Cry Radio. What's up, Mark?
3: Hi, hey guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. really appreciate it.
0: No worries. Glad to have you here. So uh, I believe it was our good buddy here, Josh Peck, who introduced us.
3: Yeah, Josh. Yeah,
1: you guys it- have a uh, a pretty lengthy interview on YouTube on Josh's YouTube channel. That uh, <laughs> it's,
3: it's, it's yeah, we had a an interesting method. I was I was trying to trace through the book, so the audience could kind of. Uh, see you know it needed to be in a sequential fashion so that they could understand you know so we did it in sections but we tended to, well i tended to talk very slowly and and uh way too long <laughs> and, uh, so josh did all the work um put all the images in in the video that i requested and then later on broke it into um much more digestible parts for people which i really appreciated and they're going on that fashion i think they're a lot more effective that way
0: Good old Josh. Well, that's great. Like I said, he's a great friend of ours, a great friend of the show. And so here you go, folks, you can, uh, you can blame Josh. If Mark blows your mind too much, <laughs> did you think he was the Josh Peck from Nickelodeon?
3: No, no. But I keep, I keep thinking of, uh, Oh, who was that? There was a movie where there were a guy, uh, little like, uh, dwarves named Pecks. <laughs> That, that's sort of random, but I can't remember the name of that movie. Though but.
0: Sounds like something. Peck. Be don't into. call
3: me Peck. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so why don't we uh, start a little bit with your background? Uh, we know your brother was, was, a uh, a great writer and into these things. Were you always interested sort of in this fringy stuff?
3: Yeah, I, everything, um, that my brother did, I was in on it, so to speak. Um, Um, we talked about everything. He talked about everything. Um, We talked um, to going back to the eighties. And then when uh, the internet started, um, he put out his website, um, the watcher website. Yeah. So that was a collaborative effort between him, myself and his wife. And uh, I think it's out still in the same format than it was when
1: it is. It's, it's it's pretty awesome. I frequent it. Uh, when I have to remember something that he said, I like to go back and dig around. It's it's an awesome site.
3: And yeah, it was pretty radical. It was a place where you go to to find out the nature of um, the UFO phenomenon, right? And learn about what really was um, going on on Mars and, and Mars history. Yeah. And, uh,
0: so, uh, like, what what did that look like for you guys? Was your was your dad a time traveler? <laughs> what got you both into that?
3: We lived in Helena, Montana, and uh, a lot of people um, that lived there at the time um, went to school in Great Falls and had moved to Helena, and they talked about UFOs that they'd seen in the 70s. Right. And uh, I think in my high school, we had a, an ex-military person that used to man some of the silos up at a Maelstrom come give a talk. And uh, he talked, you know, very matter of factly about the, uh, the spaceships, the, the bright ships that came and shut down all the launch codes on, on all their missiles. Wow. And this was, this kind of blew our minds, but it just seemed like a normal thing. Everybody knew about UFOs. And so (laughs) Dave was a Christian and I, I was a Christian at that time. And we tried to resolve that reality with what we knew about Christianity and our Christian faith. And that I think led kind of to the, the watcher website. Right. That's really cool. I remember the days that Dave and I talked about, what are they? And uh, Genesis six really is uh, where it all started.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's cool because you know, my, my own personal testimony in that regard is similar. You know, how do we rectify topics that obviously i grew up watching movies you know like stargate and you know there's stuff that were, was out there that were, you know was interesting but i knew had some sort of shred of truth one of the movies that really impacted me when i was a kid probably way too young to see it was uh, a fire in the sky the travis walton story mm-hmm. and when i became a christian you know part of trying to figure out how did these two kind of seemingly different uh world views or or you know topics relate if they relate at all, and and most of the answers I got within, you know, the church was, uh, you know, not to worry about it, so, uh, but I, I did discover Dave's work pretty early, and um, it's been really helpful in, you know, putting everything uh, in a way that's sort of, like, pretty mind-blowing, you know, and, and mm-hmm. so I appreciated everything he did, and, you know, so, so that's cool, so you were there that whole time, just uh, helping him maybe, you know, bounce off ideas, and and uh yeah
3: it all came together you know right at the start of the the internet age and so at that time i was going to school in my undergrad and uh and he had written his book yes i the secret chronicles of mars and his wife took the manuscript because um i think dave worked on it a long time and you know he got to the point where he said i'm just done you know and uh so she took it from there, and the first thing she did was send it to Richard Hoagland. Oh wow, <laughs> and,
1: uh, <laughs> the right guy to send it to. Yeah, I so uh,
3: Hoagland got it on his. He said he got it on my, on my got it on his front door, and he uh he took it and he started reading, and uh, he said I started turning pages, and I and I kept reading, and I and I read through the whole thing. He said it it was incredible. It blew his mind. And uh, the thing is, Hoagland comes from the. The Background. I guess his theory is that humanity, humanity's origins were from Mars, right? Uh, and there was a lot of supporting evidence. He would he would say it was in that book for what he believed, but it didn't. What Dave was saying wasn't that at all,
1: right? Right.
3: And uh, it is a really radical statement to say, even now when you say it, that there were angelic civilizations on Mars at the time. And in another planet called Rahab in our solar system
1: yeah' that's well awesome I, I love digging into that stuff <laughs> it's it's pretty uh you know and it's one of those topics where i you know i i, I you know I still struggle with the uh, you know creation young earth or or old Earth, and you know it's one of those things that I flip back and forth based on the evidence I hear you know one day i'm kind of more young earth like oh that's that's a good point, and then mm-hmm. you know I'll read some of Dave's work or or you know just somebody else's that has another view of things and not so much. And I think he got some criticism that wasn't necessarily, I guess the right context, if you will, because a lot of times I think the Hoagland connection made it seem like he was saying something he wasn't saying. And maybe that was confusing a lot of people at the beginning anyway, but I think there's been some clarity since then.
3: Right. And he, uh, what he, he would do, he'd go down to Roswell to um, the ancient days conferences that they had there. And I remember his first lecture, the people in the audience just were absolutely quiet through the whole thing. I think it went on about two and a half hours, and afterwards, people came up I mean they swarmed him, and they were saying things like, "This puts together all the questions this answer answers all the questions that i that I had and th- this is so great, you know and and from then it really took off. And uh, it's interesting that a lot of the stuff that Dave did at that time <clears throat> is, is still out there on the internet, you know, with millions of views. Um, I don't know. I, I think uh, also, you know, since the internet started, there were things like PowerPoint, are you know, great way to to show things to people, you know, rather than just talk or have a, a whiteboard or you know,
4: right, right. Like well, that. it's really it's interesting the
0: the timing. Out the timing of, you know, being in the, being the right age at the right time to, uh, you know, be able to use the internet just as it's coming out and kind of ride the wave and get in there early. So that's awesome.
3: Yeah. And and Dave had a lot of, um, kind of a hard time getting people just to listen to him. I know of at least, uh, one instance where he was contacted kind of out of the blue by someone that was working on his uh, PhD dissertation. And, uh, Uh, He asked Dave about some of the specific things that he he had written in his book. Um, Specifically, he wanted to know where Dave found him, you know. And Dave was, you know, someone that read, I mean, that literally would take encyclopedias and read them for fun. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, to me, I mean, that was just a normal thing. I mean, we kind of did that. And uh, we'd have conversations late into the night the three of us, his wife, you know, wherever we would be. And that was the subject we talk about all the time. And while we were talking, we'd make new discoveries, you know, and uh, Dave would take it all and put it on the watcher website.
1: Boom. Yeah. That's neat. And uh, And that's funny because, you know, (laughs) it seems like encyclopedias, you know, most kids these days are like, what's that? Yeah. I mean, the you internet. Mean Wikipedia? Is, yeah, you mean Wikipedia or you mean Google or? Yeah. Yeah.
3: You know, when I was growing up, the the phones we had had dials on them, and uh, there was maybe one in the house, you know, and you didn't want to be contacted. You just take that off the, the hook, you know, that was pretty much it. If you wanted to get anything, you had to go to the library. You weirdo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know how you survived back then.
3: So now, obviously,
0: your brother has his name on a number of great books. But you have a new book out. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Forbidden Secrets of the Labyrinth, colon, The Awakened Ones, The Hidden Destiny of America, The Day After Tomorrow. <clears throat> it's a pretty serious yeah.
3: title. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's a little bit of media hype thrown in there. Maybe <laughs> it works or you know, maybe, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. I would have been happy with just calling it the labyrinth. But, um,
0: it kind of reminds me of, like if you read it with uh,
3: forbidden. The awakened ones, the hidden destiny of America and the day after tomorrow.
1: The <laughs> Black and white globe. Spinning, yeah.
3: yeah. Dramatic. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd, I had a lot of information that I wanted to put out, and uh, I resolved that uh, it needed to be in a book format because it needed to be laid out in a sort of a sequential way that people could understand. So that each chapter could build from the last, mm-hmm, right. uh, until I, I came kind of to the final point. I have three chapters at the end, I think, that are making the point that people really need to understand what I really wanted to get across. Also, I think I had sort of uh, underlying anger that uh, for my whole life I've I've been lied to, like everybody else has, in every school that I've gone to, and you know, in the media that we are being fed every day. And, uh, and I get that kind of same kind of thing with people. I try to discuss these concepts with, uh, they just sort of look at me and think, I, I wonder when he's going to stop talking. Right. You know?
4: Yeah. And, it.
3: uh, I thought if not now, then when, you know, so I buckled down and, and, and wrote it. And, um, my publisher, when I sent it to him, he asked me, so can you kind of tell me what it is? I, I had a synopsis written, but he said, is it a, is it a survey of uh, mythology? And, uh, I, I could see kind of how someone would, would, you know, get that impression just sort of leafing through it, but, well, kind of yes and no. People really need to, to look at mythology in a different way, I think. And, uh, well, as I was writing it too, a lot of things came out that weren't actually clear to me. So, right in writing the book, um, I learned a lot as well. So, it was a really good exercise. And uh, from that, um, I think it's just going to increase. Um, there's a lot of things I have a huge amount of um, information that I'd like to get out. Can, and I'm, I'm sort of hesitant to put it out just in you know my blog sure. and I'm thinking, no, oh, I'm going put it in another book, you know, but since the book's been out for what, almost a year now, um some people are getting it. The reviews on Amazon are are pretty good. And uh so what's sort
0: of the what's sort of the basis of the book? What's what's the theory that you share?
3: Well it's a it's it's another sort of radical statement and that is um, we are all born into the labyrinth this this world that we live right now is under control of something and that something permeates our culture our language everything that we see has something to do with this thing's control right and the ultimate goal of this thing this entity is to manifest on Earth in human form.
4: Mm.
3: Um, this, this creature is this incredibly intelligent creature that uh, it's, it's not understandable as far as uh, humans are concerned. People say, oh, well, Lucifer, I'm sure, is very intelligent being an angel. They, they have no idea of the incredible depth of his intellect. And they don't have a, a grasp either of, of just how much he hates humanity. Right, Or how much he uh, regards himself. I, I don't know if I can use the word love. Does he love himself? Well, he's a narcissist. Sure. He's a definition of a narcissist. But uh, yeah, that's that's what mythology is pointing to. And the mythology is a very, say, a uh, holy um, subject. It's the last subject that you, you could be allowed to study. You need a mentor. And you'd have to have a very large um, background before you'd be ready to do it.
0: Right. Now, when you say mythology, what definition are you, or are you working with there? What, it, what is exactly mythology in the context of your book?
3: Oh, Greek and Roman. Right. Stories of the gods of their, their uh-huh. religion. And it goes back farther than that.
0: And sort of how that's uh, sort of influencing today's
3: culture. Yeah, you know, um, an example of how it's influencing our culture, I'd say, that uh, people don't realize how much of Roman religion is incorporated to, into our, our daily life, right. into words, into our calendar, mm-hmm. into the corruption of Christianity.
4: Right.
1: Yeah, because it seems like, you know, a lot of skeptics will throw the word mythology around as not true you know that the the two words seem to be synonymous and i and i understand that there are different definitions uh of mythology you know there's mm-hmm. people that can use it as you know yes it's just a fabricated story to you know make a point or it's got some sort of seed of truth in it and it's uh uh you know it retains some historical fact you know so mm-hmm. what which side do you lean towards in in terms of that sort of scale of mythology
3: i would say that uh all the characters in mythology much of, the, much of the story and the, the background and the meaning of the names of the characters tell a story mm-hmm. that describe the narcissist in, in many ways, in, in a multifaceted way. He would like to describe his aspects. Right. Um, here's an example of this, um, the story of Apollo going to Delphi, um, and uh, there he meets the, the, uh, the guardian of Delphi, Python, and he kills it. It's fairly simple. Um, so Apollo was the shining god, the, the god, the powerful god of knowledge. Why would he go to Delphi, the place where people listen to the oracle, and kill the guardian. What's the meaning behind that? Right. So if you look at it as um, an allegory, the shining one goes there, the shining one, the one that controls the knowledge, goes there and kills his former self. The lowly snake, the chthonic snake, the underground dwelling python, python means to rot. And he becomes the guardian of the oracle, becomes Apollo's oracle. That's a type. It's a prophecy of what and I'll use the word "nakash," mm-hmm. what the Nakash plans to do. He plans to eliminate his former self and take over as the shining Apollo, the, the perfect, beautiful human being and God at the same time.
1: That's really interesting because it seems to reflect, you know, this idea of apotheosis that seems to permeate secret societies in general. And and sort of the, the idea of, you know, uh, even rituals. And actually, you know, I I was hoping to bring this up in some way or another, but, um, I was at, uh, what I call the occultiest place on earth, which was Disneyland last weekend. Mm -hmm. And I was going through some rides and, you know, obviously one of the rides, which was, um, Indiana Jones, uh, the forbidden eye, you know, and so there's the eye symbolism everywhere. But then most, not most, but a lot of the rides that are indoors has this element of pitch blackness at the beginning or some part of the ride. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me, and I don't remember where I heard this or read this, but I was reminded of the the rituals that are accustomed to you know freemasons and rosicrucians and, and you know they go way back but they mm. sort of have that blindfold and you know dying to yourself and rebirth and
2: exactly it seems exactly. to
1: be a very similar pattern that seems to emerge so i mean right. it, it, you know we can get into disney and all that side tangent stuff but getting back to what you're saying is that sort of the, the same kind of uh, does it start with this myth of apollo that you brought up
3: it's just an example. I mean, um, I'm glad you mentioned the Freemasons. So um, the Freemasons would use that story as um, an example of them coming to an understanding of who the Lightbringer actually is. Of course, to become a Mason, you have to have a belief in a, um, a Creator God.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Or you can't become a Mason. And of course, if you're a Christian, you can become a Mason. But as you go up the degrees, eventually you'll get to the point, if you're worthy— where you start to understand that Lucifer is the, the god that here, is here to help mankind. He is the one that contains all the knowledge mm. from the tree of the fruit of good and evil. He is the shining one. At the moment you understand this, you've slayed the serpent, just like Apollo did. Just like St. George did, slaying the dragon. Same idea. You've slayed your dragon. right? Now you worship Lucifer. Of course, you're never going to say that at the level you get to. If anybody asks a mason, well, you worship Satan, right? No. Of course they're going to lie.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not, they it's have not to. good PR.
3: Well, yeah, of course they have to because they've sworn not to reveal any of the secrets. And, and at the time that they know that they're going to be worshiping Lucifer, they start doing that actively they act the same way that he does they lie
0: right right that's a good point you know kind of going back to the mythology point i mean uh many are aware that uh, greek and roman mythology is just permeates the the government at least government structures and paintings and you know they're obviously we're all kind of onto the fact that uh america wasn't necessarily uh, as Christian of a nation as we all like to think it was started to be. But, uh, you know, it, there's Greek and Roman mythology all over the place as part of the power structure. Is that sort of the, the kind of, uh, you know, uh, control system of, of this, this mythology that you're talking about?
3: Well, absolutely. They're um, the people that put together Washington, DC um, knew what they were doing. Right. And If you go there, if you go to any government building, you'll you'll see that type of architecture. I mean, why why the Greek, why the classical architecture? Well, I mean, why couldn't it be something else? You know, maybe Asian or something. You know, whatever it happens to be. You know, the the architecture that you find in India, or for example, no, it's honoring the gods that were mirrors of the Lightbringer throughout every allegory. Surely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah, not only that, though, the structures themselves have mathematical um, allusions to the nature of this being as well. They're pathogenic, right. which means they come from themselves. And that goes back to the, the golden mean, golden ratio, mm-hmm. that type of thing. All then, the architecture
0: stuff the architecture. that uh Freemasonry is based on. hmm Interesting.
3: Just like, you know, Manly P. Hall said, um, the United States was made, and it was established for a peculiar and particular reason. Hmm. Um, there's this black and white um, MO that they use all the time, like uh, plausible deniability. For, you know, for example... I think it was Albert Pike that said the lower levels of Freemasons should believe that they understand what the symbolism means. They should believe that they understand, even though they don't. That's what it's all about in the lower levels. They need people to think, well, this is just, you know, sort of benign, um, brotherly, you know. How can I put it? It's it's just a way of saying that um, we like the way this architecture looks, and uh, if there is any meaning to it, it's just you know the more of the a story fraternity
0: story. than than yeah, some fraternity. sort of sinister like you know spiritual meaning
3: stories that the gods had need to be you know remembered so that we as human beings you know learn from the past something like that right. But it's it's a, it's extremely diabolical. Once you start understanding what they're saying, what it means, it's just mind blowing to go there. You'll see it all the time, everywhere you look.
0: Yeah. What's an example that um, maybe some people haven't heard of or seen or something like that?
3: Hmm. <laughs> we, uh, the Greeks had uh, little shrines called Naiskos. Uh huh. They'd always have the mother goddess inside and they'd have a, a pediment on the top of course with the golden angles two pillars and uh, they find them all over the hills in uh, anatolia modern-day turkey um you'll find a really grand nice coast right in front of the capitol building um, interesting hmm. i have a couple i think i have a picture of that in the book um also and this is sort of a side note the cult of mithra Mm-hmm. is extremely important to the Masons, of course. Um, there's not a lot of people that, that will admit this, but there are people that's, that have said that the the Masons do practice sort of a form of Mithraism. But there's a grotto or a cave. Actually, I think it's 666 feet right from the uh, the entrance of the Capitol building. Wow. That uh, has all the hallmarks of uh, Mithraic um, caves where they'd worship, where they'd have their secret rituals.
0: Right. What about in like the media and, uh, you know, popular entertainment? Is there any sort of blatant?
3: Oh, it's, it's, it permeates. Yeah. I mean, um, I've recently been studying a lot of the, the work of Stanley Kubrick and I won't go into that. <laughs> I almost <laughs> I think so you should go into it. have so much sitting here on my computer that I could be writing. I mean, for the past year. Right. But, uh, um, you know, I, I saw almost all of Stanley Kubrick's work when his movies came out, other than the stuff that was in the '60s. And, uh, and now, when I watch it again, it's it's fascinating and sickening at the same time. You're right.
1: Um, <laughs> you back. Yep. Sorry. What was that, bro? I don't know. It's. I'm telling you, it's all the good guests with the important stuff to say. Uh huh. This happens. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> oh no, no, T- no tends computer. to happen. We we had a good run, but <laughs> <Computer suck. laughs> um, I think you were talking about Stanley Kubrick. Uh, Stanley Kubrick is a neo-alchemist.
3: Yeah, ne- neo-alchemist. Um, I guess that's a good term for Stanley. He was uh, a genius neo-alchemist, and he is worshipped by Hollywood, the Hollywood crowd, and the Masons. He didn't reveal secrets. He he did them using the method that is uh, okayed, I guess. It's a method that's allowable, let's say. Right.
4: Hmm.
3: Um, because um, that is something that is kind of a strange hallmark of the way that Nakash, Nakash operates. He telegraphs all his moves before he does them. It's a, it's, a, it's a law, I think, sort of an unwritten law that he does this.
0: Now, what do you mean by that? What do you mean? He telegraphs his moves.
3: Hidden in plain sight, right? Um, if you have understanding, um, and a lot of that is gained through understanding mythology, um, mythology in the light of uh, the old, the Old Testament from a Christian standpoint, or uh, mythology, you know. With the, the understanding or the, the belief that uh, the Nakash is the savior of mankind, I think, um, is where the knowledge is gained. I think if, uh, if people have that, then what, you know, this, the symbolism that comes out in Stanley's movies just is so obvious. But, you know, I'm a good example myself when I was younger in high school watching The Shining, I had no idea what was going on at all. You guys are still there. Yeah, we're here. Yeah, yeah.
0: We're just enthralled. (laughs) (laughs)
3: So, yeah, so
0: it's in the media. It's in the big Hollywood movies, obviously. I mean, he he is one of the most famous directors in Hollywood's history, I think.
3: I I can give you an example of the depth that he goes into. A very short one, for example. Yeah, please, uh, no. The the beginning of The Shining. Um, Mm -hmm. Well... In the movie, it's supposed to be based in uh, Colorado where, um, you see the little yellow Volkswagen traveling up the mountainside. Yeah. Yeah. You have this long shot of a very, very calm lake it happens to be, um, St. Mary's Lake <clears throat> and, uh, flying over think, Goose Island. But the actual place is in Glacier Park and the road they're going up to is named going to the Sun Highway. Hmm. And. So I'll just stop there, going to the sun. They're talking about um, going to, I guess you'd say, Apollo. Right. Helios, or Horus. Horus the child, the rising sun. They're going up the mountain. Mm. And the music that's playing happens to be a rendition of Dezira, Day of Judgment. Right. Um, Interesting. The composer of that music is Wendy Carlos, formerly Walter Carlos, who worked with uh, Walter Moog, I think, early on. And um, that's very hermetic, uh, throwing that term out, because that transition that um, Wendy Carlos made is um, the same type of thing that Attis did at the um at his wedding when he was induced to madness by his mother sibyle and i'll just leave it there i don't want backtrack too much because it's this way out of context but that's all that's going on just in the opening scene
0: wow. right right that's crazy so we have mythology being represented around everywhere as as uh, citizens or just being in the geographical confines of the United States but then you also have it sort of broadcast all over the world through the media basically affecting every nation on the planet so you have this mythology going everywhere and and you mentioned at the top it's it's sort of each god and myth is sort of expressing a characteristic of uh, this Overarching evil being that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So, how does how is this all going to go down? What's when does this come to a head? What's the what's the major plan here?
3: Well, I simply stated, I guess you know, I'd say the end game is um, a one world um, controlled by the elite, the right. elite, of elite the the arch masons, the arch neo alchemists. Um, this will happen when the Nakash is as a human. Um, there's a lot to do with uh, his interest in Jerusalem and specifically the temple. Right. But... Uh, and I mean, are you
0: talking idea. about the Antichrist or the beast? Yeah, the, the
3: Antichrist. Yeah, that's, okay. that's the word I told Josh Peck, never to say. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? You know, because... It's like
0: Voldemort. When, when people
3: hear me talk about the Antichrist, they say, oh, you're just a, a, a fringe, um, crazy Christian. Got it, guys. got it you know and I, when i keep using the word satan you know I, I sound like the dana carvey on saturday night live as a <laughs> right. church you know I, I try to you know back up from that a little bit right. explain okay. things sort of in a new fashion so people maybe will step back and listen to it you know right
1: and do you think that's also by design that that you know things like saturday night live or, or whatever even the word christian Right. has become kind of I would say weaponized in so many ways it's sort of a, a taboo word now if you're associated with right Christian. oh yeah
3: oh absolutely yeah that's that's exactly the trend now you know Christians are becoming very right. types of uh terrorists yeah, yeah. well States. that's an
0: interesting take that you're taking with the book you know you're sort of revealing um kind of a, a lot of the stuff especially the listeners here on this show are are fairly, maybe not with the specifics that you talk about but fairly. You know, familiar with end times prophecy and sort of how all that's going to look, and and the devil's hand and the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But so this book is sort of written to maybe the non-Christian or the. You know, the the sensitive non believer who doesn't really want to hear the words the devil or or whatever, but you're you know, still uh, you, you know, peeling back is, the scales.
3: Yeah, just as there's many, many gods and goddesses that explain certain aspects, certain um intentions the Nakash right. has. There's many names for him, you know, Nakash, Lightbringer, Satan, Apollo, Harper, right. saying uh, Hermes the thrice great. You can you can go on and on, and uh, they're all aspects of him um, that he wishes to to portray. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's really into having people worship him um, and understand how great he is. I, you know, as I read as I read through my book. After it had been put together, you know, and, and stepped back a while, a couple of months, I, I thought, you know, looking around just the state of the world, I I didn't realize even myself how completely permeated our world is with his influence. I thought, well, yeah, he's the God of this world. I mean, out of the Bible, the God of this world. But he really does have, I mean, he is the big, you know, high level Top mafia boss, right, All right. All governments.
1: You bring up the Nakash, and you know, I think most of our audience is familiar with Nakash being synonymous with, you know, the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, how do the, I guess you know, the the illumined or the ones that have carried down this tradition, uh, you know, the 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 notion that I get or or the you know what I've discovered through people studies, for example. Uh, Bill Cooper, there's a clip of him that I use for my uh, first film, Age of Deceit, where yeah. he talks about everything's flipped. You know, they see Lucifer Absolutely. as the one that freed humanity from the garden and, you know, I Yahweh. I hear his
3: words right when you're saying that, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they have it reversed. Right. He, he came there to save mankind from sl- oppressive slavery that God was going to impose upon them. Right, right. He okay. rescued them. Right. gave them a chance for freedom and knowledge.
1: Right, and then how does that carry through? You know, because I don't know. Maybe it's because we are so deep into our uh sort of you know Christianity, so to speak, that we it's sort of plain in sight for us to see that hey, that's the bad guy mm-hmm. throughout the scriptures. It's pretty easy to see, you know, his influence, and he gets defeated on the cross and all this stuff. How does you know? How did the illumined ones, so to speak, the ones that are passing this this information down? Obviously, it was passed down you know, throughout the time the scriptures are being written as well, right? I mean, his influence, the Nakash's influence mm-hmm. has been there since the beginning. And so how does, you know, how does the tradition not be, I don't know, I don't know exactly how to word it, like usurped by the scriptures and how does the scriptures, the Bible itself fit into all of this? You know, is it just a a one-off, you know, God's word that sort of pierces through everything or, you know, is it, did they obviously? They use the Bible in certain ways to you know make their he,
3: he mis- yeah he he twists the the Bible you know the, the the meaning of the Bible and the stories in the Bible for you know if he can for his own purposes. But right. I think you said it very well. The Bible pierces through all the lies. The Bible is the source for truth. Right. One really needs to go and discern the Old Testament, and by discern I I mean. If you want to learn Hebrew, you're capable of doing it, you, you probably should. You don't really need to, no. Um, you can go to Blue Letter Bible and have the, the translation right there in front of you, Right. and have someone pronounce each word for you if, if you need. But uh, if you look at mythology through the lens of what went on in the Bible, and the information in the Bible, um, you can understand the truth. First, I don't think I could have written this book if I w- didn't have a very strong Christian faith and it. And a base knowledge sure. of what the bible says right and, uh, and that's a problem too i mean number one a lot of people really don't have very much of an idea what the bible says right and um, especially the old testament we were raised catholics and you know i guess i could say that the old testament was um, something that we were exposed to i'm sorry the new testament uh, the old testament not so much uh, later, when we, I say like we, Dave and I, um, rejected Catholicism and started looking at the Bible, sort of with uh, mature minds, we could see how much we had been missing, right. and that was mostly by looking at the Old Testament and by listening to people, listening to people like King Scott and other um, preachers, L and Z chuck missler right they they're a big help and uh and then just by doing a lot of reading and a lot of talking you know with people sure
4: yeah
0: so you, you cover the mythology that's uh, and you've given a couple examples of that in your book here mm-hmm. and uh you know we we see kind of a strategy forming where you're telling the truths of the Bible and sort of the secret, you know, Luciferian doctrines, but making it sort of palatable for uh, people who may be uh, not so stoked on Christianity or Jesus in general, right? Mm-hmm. So what, what sort of, I don't know, answer do you give in the book? Is there any sort of uh, solution that you give or, or something, well, yeah, something to do about it? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yeah. that?
3: The, the last chapter I talk about Samson and uh-huh. his struggles and uh, the manifold meaning of the story of Samson. I mean, There's the, the surface story that's interesting. And then if you start looking at the, the meaning of the names, right. another story comes out. And if you now start understanding the religion of the area of where he lived his life a little bit better by studying mythology. If you go beyond mythology, by that I mean, um, go into the cultures that lived in uh, the the Middle East and uh, Anatolia and Persia and understand um, the religion or look into their religions, what they believed. Um, You get a better idea of the the meaning of uh, what was going on in the story of Samson as well. Sure. And what's that? Why don't you share a little bit of that with us? Well, specifically, um, when he is in the temple of Dagon, um, I'll backtrack a little bit. Um, I talk about the pillar symbolism, that you'll see in, uh, the, uh, classical architecture, the type of thing, the Greek architecture that you'll see in a lot of the government buildings. Right. Especially Washington, DC. Um, the pillars have meaning. Um, you know, like, the three orders of columns or pillars are Corinthian, Ionic, and uh, Corinthian, Ionic, Dorian is the other one. Very specific. But the meaning of the pillars is that separation that occurred at the Garden of Eden when Paradise left the Earth, God left the presence of Adam and Eve because of them doing what the nakash said that they should do right how do you get paradise back well the elite of the elite or the neo-alchemists would say well by following the light bringer right. eventually he'll bring the golden age and this is a sort of another thing goes back to alchemy the transmutation of base metals to gold what they're talking about is that golden age that they're looking towards right right yeah and cash manifests as the ruler when paradise in their eyes will be brought back to earth so on one hand in the temple of Dagon you have uh, they have the great pillars that Samson was up against and he pushed the pillars down showing them that their religion is false mm. but through his death he conquered their false religion the religion of Dagon and I won't go into, you know, the meaning of the word Dagon and, and the history behind that or the religion. But isn't uh, that the fish the god, fish fish god. Yeah. Yeah. Fish. yeah. But uh, understanding what Dagon represented and the, the way that he was worshipped and the situation of Samson gives a story about the. i can say. The, uh, the victory that christ would would show in the future he would prove that it was a, a type of christ's victory right Christ conquered the evil um, I guess the, the evil world as it is now, in two fashions, by dying and then resurrecting and he will come back to start the true reunification of heaven on earth.
0: Is that something that you talk about in your book or is there a way that you uh, Yes, you know? I
3: do. very very explicitly and that's a theme that starts at the beginning and, and ends with Samson Right, last interesting year.
1: Very interesting. Yeah, it's always fascinating to to look at you know, where you started with that, uh, with alchemy and did a a whole documentary on alchemy and the rise of the beast image and sort of the the parallels with transhumanism, which is something we talk about here, but you know, just in philosophy, um, this idea of attaining Godhood, bringing back the golden age, all these Mm -hmm. sorts of uh, promises, um, that are parallel to what, you know, the technology of today will promise us, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, in reading certain texts, like, uh, you know, digging through some manly P hall stuff, uh, you know, he he does sort of a survey of the different, you know, he goes through some of the mythology and tries to explain some of it. And uh, what I found interesting was, and I, I would want to know with someone that, you know, has a little bit of a better grasp on mythology, where stories like this come from. For example, you know, Adam, uh, having lived close to 900 years, uh, the story that Manly P. Hall tells is that Adam knew the secrets of alchemy and knew how to create the Philosopher's Stone to, you know, that, that's why he was able to live for so long, and he taught an early man how to make this stone, and the, and the knowledge was lost, and, and that kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. How does, is that just stuff that was created to uh, maintain sort of the, the, the opposition, or is that, I mean, is there any truth in that? Is, how do you, you know, I didn't know what to do with something like that.
3: So, yeah, uh, uh, no truth in that. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> Good to it's, hear. it's the plausible deniability principal again I think you know you have P. Hall who is I think he was an honorary 33rd degree mason right? right. and uh, which of course you can't become 33 unless you have other high level masons that promote you to that I don't think he had to go through a lot of the lower levels but he had the knowledge that they had and yet um, they weren't um, very clear on where he, he got it backing up from that again the high-level masons would assume then therefore he got the information directly from hermes himself
1: Mm, that's interesting
3: and of course information directly from hermes is truth seeded with lies right strategically so that it seems plausible
1: right right and that makes sense if um you know, using the Adam and Eve story, using the biblical narrative and, you know, revealing the quote unquote secrets behind it. Uh, mm-hmm. that would seem appealing to, to anyone, I would say, you know, uh, that are, that's trying to seek the truth. You know, they, I, I can see how right. people can get caught up in some of those, you know, hidden messages and things like that, 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 that appear to, uh, provide right. insight.
3: Right. Do you know the zeitgeist movement?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely.
3: Uh, what they say is, uh, Christianity is just um, a rehash of a, an extremely ancient religion, a very archaic and, and not that intelligent of a religion of our of, of our ancestors, right. which was sun worship. Right. And what I say to that is, okay, they're disregarding that there's a god at all. Number one, um, that's a big problem. If you don't have a belief a belief in God, um, you're at a huge disadvantage. Number two, angels have a different sort of mode of understanding um, the universe, and they operate in time in a different fashion than human beings understand. And for some event that's going to happen where God himself, the creator of the universe, is going to manifest on a planet for man's sake, that event is known to them, and specifically known by the Nakash. And he's going to do everything he can to subvert it, corrupt it, Corrupt the story and preempt it so that people will be confused about the truth
1: yeah the the idea of preempting is is interesting because uh you know oftentimes you hear that the Sumerian accounts uh, predate uh, you know the Bible and Egypt and oh, yeah. stuff like that, so therefore it must be you know the truth and,
3: right. and when Cortez came over to um, South America, he was confused because. There were, were a lot of crosses and strange similarities to the stories uh, the Christians understood and right. the gods that they talked about and uh well the Spaniards thought that uh, of course uh, the Indians were were very corrupt and they they stamped out the, that religion of theirs but um the uh the idea of the cross is extremely powerful and and Nakash has done his best throughout man's history on this planet to corrupt the understanding of, of what it means. It seems like the, the way you're
1: describing everything, it really, I think, ties together this notion that there really is only, you know, one anti-religion, so to speak. You know, uh, there, there's the, the truth of, you know, the biblical view, and then there's sort of this anti Christ view, and I don't mean that in the, in the singular man, but the, mm-hmm. the Antichrist uh, perspective, and mm-hmm. that perspective has splintered and manifested in many different ways mm-hmm. um, everything from just a simple false religion to the most sinister, you know, theistic sort of Luciferian worship kind of, you know, situation.
3: Right, but, they, Right. exactly. Uh, you can go all the way on the spectrum from the most vulgar satanic worship where people sacrifice Human beings to Satan to the extreme high level elite Masonic form, which is what controls this Earth right now, government-wise, and uh, which is allowed to control this Earth right now. Right. And there's everything in between that spectrum.
1: Sure. And, you know, we often we hear a lot about, and there's often you know in the conspiracy world, there's infighting about who's at the top. You know, I've heard everything from recently especially, we've heard, you know, the Jesuits control everything. And then we hear, no, it's the Freemasons. Oh, no, it's uh, this this group, the Illuminati. And is this all semantics? Is it it really just a splinter of one entity at the very top, you know, creating sort of different arms and and having, uh, you know, them fight each other or have sort of… Yeah,
3: I'd say that that's a good way to describe it. It is splintered. But there is one um, high-level mob boss in control, and he—he he def- he definitely enjoys watching conflict in any form, as long as it's going on between humans.
1: Right. You know, it's so interesting that I, all the things that we—you know—you mentioned earlier that we live in uh, everything—the the control system that we're born into. You know, you gave some examples earlier, but what you know, what, what's something that you? discuss or maybe you know discovered while doing your research and writing that that most people wouldn't consider you know in terms of the control system like you know paradigm shifting kind of stuff because i would imagine most people when they think about you know when they get a social security number and stuff like that you're already sort of uh tying into the system so to speak Um, and that's kind of a paradigm shifting type of thing i mean for most of human history there was no such thing as a a, you know a a serial number for you you know but um What's something along those lines that you think uh, that maybe you can share with us that's... Uh... Well,
3: the example of what, what money is, and uh, other people have talked about this. Moose isn't really unique to me, but I did write some things I think are, are unique concerning money. And uh, the basic um, story is that gold specifically, coined gold, and the word coin itself directly is related to the word for the actual fruit on the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Really? That's coin interesting. It means it comes from quince. There was n- no such thing as pears in Europe at the time. I mean, the time after, uh, Constantine, um, it was always a quince that would be drawn on the, the tree. Hmm. And, uh, coin itself is also has many meanings. One of them is a wedge. And it goes back to that idea again, that, uh, a wedge was put in between man and God Mm -hmm. because of the actions of the net cash and paradise was separated from earth. Another wedge idea, but what's going on when people are exchanging currency specifically in this example, I'm using gold. What that represents is human life. Literally. Wow. If someone is working. That's a bit of time that they're taking out to do something to make something, right? That is represented by this coin, which in turn represents the fruit of the tree wow. that wasn't supposed to be taken. Not only that, that knowledge, that coin itself would have been necessary if we still lived in paradise. I mean, there's no such thing as as needing to work for food. Right, yeah. You know, I mean, it's that basic. I mean, because of what happened in in the Garden of Eden, now you need something like a unit of exchange. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing is you're always reminding your fellow man when you're handing them a bit of money in exchange for something that you need for your existence, your life, that... This has occurred because of what happened in the Garden of Eden.
1: Wow. Right, yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, I, I've always looked at Genesis 4 and, and the story of Cain and how he, you know, the the ground was cursed so he couldn't grow any food. Mm-hmm. And and that was, you know, he w- might have been one of the first sort of manifestations of, um, you know, the Nakash working through a man to, mm-hmm. you know, because if he was going to survive, he would have to, Sort of barter somehow, right, so, somehow get people to work to till the ground for him, so to speak, and right. then, and then you look at his his lineage and it's all about tent builders and metalworking and making weapons and
3: right and in, in the ancient world, that concept of what money is um, was corrupted again, I mean because they put the images of their gods on all their currency
1: right oh so, that is interesting right
3: that, the essence, the understanding of what money is. Um, has been lost, and absolutely corrupted. Now, of course, we have something that's not based on on anything, and people are exchanging it because um, they believe in it, and what's going on there is is true magic, true evil, dark magic. Um, The dollar bill has a talisman on it. Right. And it's active, and uh, I also write in the book that that Day is going to come to an end fairly soon as well, and the harbinger of that end was the fall of the Twin Towers. And I won't get into that, but I, I do in the book.
0: Oh, that sounds actually really interesting.
3: <laughs> so <laughs> I want you to
0: get into it now. I, but first, I want to go back to something you said: how the dollar bill has a talisman on it. We're all pretty. Uh, we all recognize that there's a you know the eye for us and the pyramid and the mm-hmm. whole thing. Is that what you're speaking of there?
3: Yeah, the, the great seal.
0: Yeah, and you say it's active. What is, it tell put us in, more. That sounds fun. It was fun.
3: put in a, a, a stepped fashion over time. And uh, the specific days that it was like, incrementally made more powerful were, were the times that uh, we were taking off the gold standard. And uh, I guess the first time Roosevelt did it for all of the Americans and, uh, but of course, foreigners could still exchange money for gold. And later, right. Nixon did it for free, the foreign mm-hmm. exchange. So,
0: so, but you say it's a talisman that's act. Does is, is that some sort of alchemical, yes, uh, and, spell uh, or something? Yeah,
3: or? it was created by a mason that works closely with Roosevelt. Right, and uh,
0: and what's the Tom purpose horse, of it? What's what's that. its uh, I don't know ability or effect?
3: <laughs> it's a well, you know, when a, a magician makes a talisman it's uh, with special alchemical understanding of the power he's putting into it and right. it has a lot to do with
0: his will i guess
3: his will exactly his will over who he wants to control right. so when it's been consecrated ready to do its work he gives it to whatever victim that he wants to get something from in other words so it is the power the Federal Reserve has, which is controlled again, not by specifically our government, right? But uh, an elite group. And of course, I go into who they are, but I'm sure you know more about that than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we but, know well, a lot of the same it, folks. It influences, I mean, it's their control that they exert over us,
0: right? That's really uh, interesting. You know.
3: They steal literally life it's sort of an ongoing um, act of uh, continuous murder if you want to look at it yeah that we're human
1: beings that makes so much sense too because you know there's that famous movie office space you know (laughs) like the the guy kind of sits there and wonders why he has to sit in a cubicle all day you know right and Mm -hmm. and that concept of of literally we are sacrificing our life our time which is the essence of our life Mm-hmm. Uh, in exchange for this immaterial numbers, you know, so that we can sustain ourselves, and there's nothing beyond that. It seems, right. you know, there's it seems to, to be to,
3: to most, I would say, yeah, right. Well, the understanding of of what money was was around at the beginning of this this country's founding, and right. the penalty for debasing currency was death, mm. which is appropriate wow. because what you're doing when you steal money from people is is uh, taking parts of their life um, and giving them nothing in return. Right. So if you think of it in, as a incremental murder or, a, you know, removing life from people, robbing them of their life in a small amount at a time. You know, I think it's appropriate.
0: Yeah. that's right. Now this
3: is just done, you know, no one questions it at all. And the days that are coming and I'm, Sure, you've heard of Jonathan Kahn and uh, mm-hmm. what he's talking about lately. Yeah, um, you're going to see fireworks fairly soon, I would guess.
1: Right, most people yeah. are saying in a couple months or next month, I, I suppose. But uh, September, yeah. But getting back at the, the gold that you mentioned, I, I had always wondered about that, and that, that kind of blew my mind because I always wondered why why are we so fascinated with gold? You <laughs> know, why is yeah. it something that continues to hold? Um, meaning or, or weight for why us why is it you
0: know? why has it been a standard for so long what, right. what you know what i mean i think like,
3: yeah i think it has a lot to do with the um the holy meaning of it what god intended it to mean for right him. it's a reminder of our state and uh that's lost today and yeah i do go over that in the book in a couple chapters i do yeah, well, and
0: something else that you mentioned a little while ago, and you said you didn't, you know, you were going to kind of pass over it because it's a mm-hmm. book, but just to you know, kind of give people a taste because giving away secrets isn't going to keep people from getting the book, I'm sure. But so you mentioned something about the twin towers and how that <clears> was uh, instigating some sort of move away from gold. Is that what you're? What, what were you alluding oh, talking- to?
3: It's, it's a move away from any exchange of currency whatsoever. Right. And it's a harbinger of uh, the arrival and or of the manifestation of, of the Antichrist.
0: But here we are 14 years later, and where is the guy?
3: <laughs> yeah. <You laughs> where sure, is he? It's, sure it's always been an incremental thing. Um,
0: right. Are you talking about sort of in a blood sacrifice type of way, or...? No, it's uh, an it's, alchemical sort of it's a, know, magical symbolism
3: it's a, the, the the symbolic um removal of the pillars wow like the, the pillars oh, yeah of the, the pillars the the, the twin towers and, and it's very hermetic um right I, that's the theme in the book um the, i think it's like through to the last chapter i talk about the meaning of the twins and hermes right tris Magistus the thrice great and uh, the, the meaning of uh, the twins is something that uh, I discovered while I was writing it, and that it's extremely important, I think, for people to get, because you'll see it everywhere. And uh, there's a lot of ways to symbolize that. And one one way that's, I think, probably the most vulgar is the Baphomet. Are you familiar with that? Yeah,
1: the yeah. statue that just went up in uh, uh, yeah. the thing that has, Colorado.
3: The head of the goat of Mendez on it with the torch between its horns right and a pentagram on its head you 'd say that 's Hermes and uh, i 'm hesitating here because i'm 'm trying to think where what would be the best place to start with this but
0: uh well, you can assume that our listeners have at least a, a small basic knowledge of of
4: i 'll go
3: back to mythology, I guess I think the best Sounds way to get go, well there is um um, Theseus, the same one that defeated the Minotaur, and I go into who the Minotaur was, what the labyrinth represents, who Theseus represents. He abducted the twelve-year-old Helen, the same woman that would become Helen of Troy. Yeah, Spartan. So at this time, she was Helen of Sparta. Helen means light. Okay, so he takes he takes Helen and he hides her in the garden of Academos. It's just um, a little bit west of the the Acropolis, the, the part where the Parthenon is in, in Athens right now. And uh, it's actually still there. And uh, her brothers were the Dioscori, the twins, or Geminis, the Romans would call them,
4: mm-hmm.
3: Pollux and Castor. And they came to Athens, and they said, unless you tell us where our sister is hidden, we will destroy, you know, your whole city. And Academos let the twins know so the city was saved later there was a temp there's a not a temple but an altar to prometheus put there in in the groves of olive trees that came from the first one that athena caused to grow becoming the matriarch of athens in a um, contest with poseidon but the olive tree symbolizes light you can get the oil from the olives and it gives light You see the idea of light, knowledge. In the grove that that Athena had, you're talking about knowledge. And you have Helen, light, hidden there. Knowledge hidden there. Mm. And the twins, they came to rescue her. But the twins are very important. One twin reveals. Reveals knowledge to whom the Nakash thinks is worthy the other twin conceals this knowledge and Mm -hmm. so you have this set you have you have the light flanked by the power of the nakash to reveal or conceal the light he is the repository for all the knowledge from from the garden of eden it's not all given to man all at the same time you see
4: Mm.
3: he has it And the Masons worship this image, this twin image. They have, uh, have you heard of the two Johns? You'll see it in almost every Masonic temple. No, what is that? And what it is is a circumpunct, which is a symbol for the sun with two parallel lines. And they'll say it's a symbol of the two Johns, right? So it's it's the obfuscation that they use all the time. John the Baptist and John the Revelator. That is an image of Hermes Hmm. and you'll see it in the heavens and on earth. Here's a good example. Um, The prime meridian where time regresses and increases the international, the the zero point. In other words, there's a place called uh, the uh, Royal Observatory and uh, there's a a thing called the flamsteed ball. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, Yeah. It symbolizes Sirius and every 24 hours, <clears throat> it rises up this post and falls. Above it, the celestial sphere has the constellation Sirius, Canis Major, with Sirius as the eye. And just below it, you have Gemini. You have another Baphomet image right above it. You have it mirrored in, in and, you know, the idea of as above, so below. Twin Towers with same, the same idea right Um, in the plaza between the towers there was this golden ball
4: Mm -hmm.
3: right and i don't recall the name of the artist that made it but it it was obviously the representation of the apple the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil between the two towers but uh the baphomet is the same thing and i i i uh I believe, um, from what I've read, that the Baphomet came from um, the Knights Templar when they were being tortured by uh, King Philip, Philip the Fair. And uh, a lot of people say, well, it was just, I mean, under the duress of torture, they they uh, they told him lies. But uh, I believe that there's a lot more truth to what the Baphomet is than people believe. And uh, the Knights Templar were some of the first people that uh, did what is considered today as modern banking. I'm kind of getting sidetracked, but uh,
0: no, that's actually really interesting too. Um, I mean, considering the fact that the Baphomet, you know, statue has recently been unveiled in Colorado, I
3: believe. Right. Yeah. That isn't surprising to me at all.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, what, what sort of, I mean, obviously, it's not good, no matter what. But I mean, do you think that's a that too is some sort of I don't I don't know it the a, words a Harbinger.
3: For it. Sure, um, yeah, um, they're overtly yeah worshiping um, Hermes, and uh, a lot of people don't understand what what that means. So, but I mean, going down, how you know, going down. The body of the Baphomet. He has a, a caduceus in his lap, and uh, the idea of the caduceus was that Hermes would touch the eye of some, uh, the eyes of someone who who was blind and they would see, or mm-hmm. he touched someone, someone who could see, and they become blind. That mm-hmm. same reveal and conceal aspect of the knowledge that he contains,
2: right. and even
3: the Baphomet itself has the words written. It's, the Baphomet always has the same peculiar sort of. Um, arm gestures: one held high and one low. The one held up has the word "man salve," and the one down is congeal, or dissolve, or coagulate, or reveal, or conceal. That idea,
1: mm. right? That's interesting. It's almost like um, the yin and yang in the east. <laughs> it's got the same mm-hmm. sort of yeah uh, it's, principle.
0: It's, it's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of symbolism, obviously, in the Baphomet. Are you familiar with all of the symbolism and stuff that's involved with the statue?
3: Yeah. I, the only thing that I noticed that wasn't really um, consistent was it wasn't an In right. other words, it didn't, it didn't look female. It looked only male.
1: Oh, right, yeah. yeah. I, I remember. So
3: to be, it, like I was talking about um, Stanley Kubrick's choice of having Wendy Carlos. He's very hermetic. In the mm-hmm. fact he went from male to female.
1: Right. Which is, which is another kind of cultural topic right Abs- now. With the absolutely.
3: Whole, exactly.
1: Uh, uh, Bruce Cait- Jenner. Yeah, Caitlin Jenner.
3: He's doing a hermetic act. Right. And when I was talking about um, he was imitating what, what happened to Attis, that's something that goes, that's extremely ancient. That goes even back before the cult of Mithra, or maybe it's parallel with the cult. Right. But, uh, and that's what's why a Persian god that goes back way before the, the Romans actively worshipped. Anyway, sorry, go ahead.
0: No, no. What, what's up with the children on the side of the statue? Yeah,
1: that's that's another interesting addition.
3: I don't. I'm not really sure. It Just I guess makes uh, <laughs> it the makes it much more approachable. <laughs> you, see, you see, these <laughs> kids don't have any problem with it. They're smiling. <laughs> they all feel the love, right? Right, right, And in fact, there's a little seat. You can just sit on it on his lap.
1: Right, I know <laughs> it's so creepy. So weird. Um, you mentioned Hermes a lot and you know, Hermes Trismegistus. And to my understanding, Hermes was sort of, uh, a Greek version of the Egyptian Thoth.
3: Yes, absolutely. And, uh-huh.
1: um, and do you get into Egyptian mythology a lot at all? Because I know that it obviously has its sort of roots.
3: I do. Um, in the beginning of the book, I talk a lot about Neth and mm-hmm. the Wajet, the all seeing eye, and uh, the crown of Neth, uh, um, Deshret. Are you familiar with any of those terms? Not as and, much. And bees and their Parthenon, uh, I'd say they're the Fabianucci, um or.
1: Yeah the feminine
3: of the, of the way that they they reproduce it's very holy. Right but, uh, right. The cult of Mithra has an iconic um sort of representation of, of Mithra where he's slaying a bull. And you'll always see Sol Invictus to his right that he's looking at and to his left you'll have emerging from the rock um the earth mother or Sibylle with the moon behind her. Mm. And uh, what I'm saying there, what I'm interpreting the bull-slaying act or the taroctony, which means literally bull murder, what he's doing is he's killing God and he is a direct representation of um, the Baphomet, of Hermes himself, actively um, performing his his final act. a lot of people want to interpret it that way, but uh, I have another um, theory that I start fairly early in the book, and uh, I talk about how the holy writing system of God reflects directly to a bull, and uh, I call it the ox circuit. Are you familiar with that? Have you have you read? A portion of my book that talked about that no, no I haven't that's okay. interesting okay. well I'll just, I'll just ask you a question um, okay. God wrote the tablets with his own finger for Moses so what was the, the alphabet of the language he used
0: I guess I always assumed it was Hebrew
3: whatever it happened to be um, how would you represent that, that alphabet in the most uh, holy form the most holy format I could I probably could say better
0: I don't know any ideas guns
3: sorry
1: mm, probably uh <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think i was saying in a circuit <laughs> I, yeah I was gonna say some sort of um circle pattern or yeah I was gonna come up with uh, some sort of golden ratio type of, not golden ratio per se, but... Let's
3: talk about our, yeah, the modern day obfuscation of our language. I mean, and in the New Testament, you'll you read the crisis. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Right. at the beginning and the end. Um, Of course, that's in English, and then they substitute English with Alpha and Omega, of course, which is Greek. I don't think Jesus really said that. He probably used Aramaic or Hebrew. I'm the Aleph and the Tav. Mm. So what I'm saying is, the holy writing system that God used, and of course, he wouldn't have used any other language or writing system that wasn't holy to him, was represented if you write all the letters of the alphabet in that circuit. So where is the beginning and the end? At the head. And the head is the tab, and the Phoenician tab is a cross. At the head was the cross. Wow. But if you broke that apart, of course, as men do, just into a linear list, they'd have a Tav at the end, in the beginning, so they call the first Tav Aleph, and they call the last Tav, you know, leave the same name, call the Tav. That's really interesting. This is is something I, I hesitated, you know, even when I discovered it, I hesitated to, to allow myself to believe it. But I am absolutely convinced that there's something to it, more than something to it. And I, I believe also the elite understand this, this concept and they use it in their magic it's been usurped again Mm. by the nakash.
0: What's an example of how that might be implemented by the elite?
3: Well the number 21 for example Right. There's 22 letters in Phoenician and there's 22 main letters in Hebrew that's because, um, well well, I'll back up a second again and say the the amalgamation of the, the crosses when you first break it apart and have a Tavit either end or at the beginning at the end, and if you put them together again but not quite perfectly, you'd make something that looks like an ox head. So over time you'd have, well, the amalg- amalgamation of, of the tobs that look, that you understand that, you know, look like two tobs together and leave that separate and then write a top at the end. Now you have 22 letters instead of just the 21 original. Um, I have a blog where I have that um represented in, in images. If anybody wants to go to MarkAflin.com and go to my uh my blog. Sure. I have something there. It's called the Ox circuit where I explain all that.
0: The What's ox. the name of your blog? And we'll repeat it at the end too. Just oh to okay.
3: Sure. Yeah, it's it's uh just go to my webpage, it's markaflin.com.
4: Okay, and then good. click
3: on the revealing, and it says the revealing blog, and you'll get to to everything that I've written, probably over the past the past year, probably oh. say, because something I something I've written before, and just put it there. Right,
4: great yeah,
3: fact. But uh, I think if people read my blog, um, they may be inspired to read the book, and definitely if you've read the book, go to the blog because it will all make a lot more sense to you.
1: Right, I'm curious about your opinion about the just the pyramids in general um i mean obviously uh your brother talked about it mm-hmm. um is that is that you still hold on to some of the stuff he discovered yeah,
3: I, do. I, I could say there is nothing that my brother wrote that i i um since have like uh not agreed with he uh when he wrote the well, the secret you know sidonian secret chronicles of mars um I read through that, and it blew my mind, but um, I read through it again, and I even today see things that I've missed, you know, or I read things that I thought I understood, but now I understand a lot a lot more clearly.
1: And right, the, it's, it's a pretty I dense book. It's a really book. good
3: base for coming up to my book, and uh, in fact, I, I make a little Venn diagram <laughs> in my book where I put Secret Chronicles of Mars and the Temple the Center of Time in my book and kind of how they fit together.
1: That's really neat. Looking at your website, and we see the uh, the Ouroboros, which is another symbol to rec- to to represent the snake that eats its own tail, the the cycle. Do you go into anything considered uh, in terms of time in your book? Like I know your brother did that, obviously, with the Temple of Time. But is there something that is, is there? I guess I'm trying to ask what Basil should have asked, which is: is there any control of time uh, or any sort of um, manipulation of time at a tangible level, or is it just more of a ritualistic, you know, controlling the calendar, that sort of thing.
3: As far as the, the illuminated elite are concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's all ritualistic. Um, they're on a time schedule and I, I think the, uh, great seal has uh, a lot of that information encoded. Uh, my brother has a couple of videos out there about the, the great seal and the, and the, the great pyramid.
1: Right, the steps leading up to the top and yeah. thirteen. Months. There's,
3: there's, um, yeah, great value. I think into into watching those and, and reading what he says about the great seal. And uh, another reason why I'm really convinced that things are are short. There's going to be a lot of um, very um, big changes coming up, especially going through um, 2016.
0: Right. Do you have any predictions or? You know, uh, things that have been revealed in the work that you've, you know, I, as you've been sifting through these things, are there any red
3: um, alerts you're trying to get out there? About, um, what's going to happen? Uh, I guess specifically in time, no, but um, predictions that are are definitely going to happen, or I believe are definitely going to happen, I could say that they're, they're there. Um, I I try to stay away as much as possible from saying anything's going to happen in any specific time, but, uh, sort of just leave it up to the reader. Um, I don't think we have a lot of time left, but then that's relative, right? You know? right, right. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> a lot of time. <laughs> right. Right. On.
1: I mean, the, the elite have been, uh, generations have gone, you know, look, yeah. Right, I, yeah, yeah
3: Newton was thinking that the, the, the rapture, that resu- resurrection was going to happen in his day didn't,
1: but right. <laughs> he was a smart guy too, you know, so. Right. Well, in terms of how we should deal with that, I mean, what, what, what do you recommend that we sort of do with all this as things unfold? Um, you know, as we record this now, it's, it's August. Um, you know, there's a lot of buzz about September and I have actually, um, I'm planning to put together a video uh, for my channel that somebody sent me a list of the things that are lining up, so to speak, for uh, September and it's it's quite a bit of stuff. I mean, he has a list of I think like twenty things that, um, you know, everything from Islam and uh, somebody announcing that the Islamic uh, Antichrist is arriving or something to the Blood Moon, the Final Tetrad,
3: the, the yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's going to crawl out of his well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: there's a lot of stuff. I mean, how do we deal with that as things unfold? What do you recommend that we do? You know.
3: Like kind of practical, I mean, just like uh, the practical level, something that, that everybody should do, like today, right now, is try to get out of debt. And uh,
1: that's not a good sign for me. <laughs> I, know, I was going <laughs> to yeah, say. I mean,
3: you know, you know, what is that going to really do for anybody? You know, um, if you know, martial law is declared, and you know. It could get really hairy or, or may not at all, but getting out know, of debt's a really good idea. Um on a more um important level, get to know Jesus. Same thing I told Josh when he asked me kind of the same question. And, right. Uh, that's absolutely the most most important thing you could do. Get to know Jesus. Get to know him. There you go. Amen. What does that mean? Number one. <laughs> priority. Get to know Jesus. The other things are, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot, and Dave and I talked about it. I, I don't think the revealing of the Antichrist is going to be a uh, sort of incremental thing. I think working up to his revealing will be incremental. It's, you know, like for frogs. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, frog in the coming getting hotter. Yeah. We're going to get primed for it, and chaos will start and get more and more intense. But when he's revealed, there's going to be something that occurs that's so spectacular, everybody's going to say, Yeah, you know, I was a Christian and I did believe in Jesus, but man, um this God that descended from on high with his sonships, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna follow him. Right. You know, because he really looks human and he says he's immortal and he, he does miraculous things.
1: Right. And, and that, that sort of thing, you know, in the climate that we're in now seems to be, I mean, it has to be extraordinary because, I mean, the level of skepticism, the level of, uh, you know, fakery on videos and CGI and things that we've, right. you know, been accustomed to nowadays, a miracle in this, you know, with our own two eyes, so to speak, would have to be something pretty significant. Otherwise, no one's going to really, um, buy oh, yeah, it, you, you know? know,
3: and the, the Hindus and, and the Jews and the Muslims and the Christians, you know, and, and the, the Zoroastrians, they're all going to say, welcome, you know, saving God. Right. To this, this thing that comes down. And I, I've maintained, you know, ever since, you know, I've talked, you know, my brother and I talked about it, I said since the mid eighties that it's going to be revealing. That's very, uh, Extraterrestrial, in its fashion, mm-hmm. it's going to be spectacular and and worldwide, and no one's going to be able to to not see it. Right. And uh, that's the only thing that's going to unite the world. It's the only thing that's going to stop the chaos or create order out of chaos.
1: Right. And it, I mean, it always it goes back to you know the Reagan slash MacArthur quote about you know the one thing that it would unite the world is an outside threat, although. Right. That threat may be the actual return of the real Christ, you know, and not so much um the revealing of the anti But this,
3: just as um what's written about Christ's return, the Antichrist will come or fit. Right. To the best of his ability.
1: Yeah. Right. So so do you think that there will be people that actually believe that this is the second coming, that this is Jesus that actually oh, yeah. has come down.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. (laughs) They deceive, even if it were possible, the elect. The elect,
1: that's right, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I guess in that regard, it becomes important to um, at least have a general grasp of biblical eschatology. Uh, You know, I mean, your average Christian might have a general idea of Satan's the bad guy, you know, but Jesus is coming back. But, um, you know, your average folk might not realize that there is this supposed to be this other you know, antichrist figure yeah. and, and, then, then, you
3: know, and that's why it's so important to, to really get a good firm base and understanding what the bible says mm-hmm. and and do it independently as well as um listen to you know your pastor and your 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 christian peers and, you know your brothers and sisters in christ research right for yourself read <laughs> <laughs> you have no excuse you know and you have the internet you know the Things like Blue Letter Bible, it's all free. It's all spectacular. I mean, can you imagine the people during the Middle Ages or during the Renaissance, what they think, you know, about all this free information? Right. Just there in the <laughs> living room. Yeah. Like he's in the man cave.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we are we don't want to take up too much more of your time, but is there anything else that uh, is really, you know, something you want to share that... um been on your heart that uh you'd like the audience to know about
3: um well like i said you to know jesus and uh you understand that the god of the universe loves you more than you could ever understand love here on on this planet any love that you felt for any other human being he loves you more and uh you're important and uh you're saved already. You're saved. It's just there waiting for you. And just take it. Ask oh. for it. You can have it.
0: Amen. There you go, folks. All right. Mr. Mark Flynn, thank you so much for coming on the show. His new book, well, relatively new <laughs> and compared to <laughs> other things that are older, is called Forbidden Secrets. Of the Labyrinth, the Awakened Ones, the Hidden Destiny of America, and the Day After Tomorrow. Why don't you give us your uh, blog address one more time so everybody knows where to find your stuff?
3: It's uh, at markaflynn.com. And I just click on the revealing, it says revealing blog right at the very top. And uh, that's uh, where you can see everything. I also have a Facebook page, and that's linked there as well.
0: Boom. All right. There you have it, folks. Make sure to go check out his stuff. Very, very interesting uh, content there. Some stuff I'll actually have to go check out as well. All right, Mark. Thanks again for coming on the show, buddy.
3: Thank you guys very much. Appreciate it. Take it easy. You too.
0: So there you have it, folks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at canarycryradio at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook. Just search Canary Cry Radio. We got a Twitter. We got uh, uh, all those good things. Also, we have a new YouTube page. Yeah. YouTube page. You can listen to all the episodes on there as well. Um, a little bit easier to share them with your friends that way. You can just send a link.
1: You it's can great. Just start trolling. YouTube. Trolling. Trolling
0: YouTube. Um, so there you go. We got that. Uh, what else? Oh, iTunes. iTunes. Many of you listen to us on iTunes or uh, any podcast thing that you listen to us on. Go ahead and give us a rating and a review. You can tell us how awesome we are or how much we are shills and heretics. And you can give us stars or thumbs up. That kind of stuff really helps us out, gets the word out there, lets people know what they're getting into when they start listening to Canary Cry Radio. Is that it?
1: That will do that. it. And the USB, but we already talked about that. And the more.
0: USB you heard at the beginning of the show. There's USB. a lot
1: going on in Canary
0: Cry Radio land. I know. We're busy. Busy boys. Busy birds. <laughs> he.
1: He? He. <laughs> oh,
0: wow. <laughs> All right, everybody. Oh. I I do
1: want to say this. Okay. Okay. Just a real, you know, extra little thing here at the end. Yeah. And I don't think you caught this, but I'm going to go ahead and reveal it to you because I feel terrible about it. Okay. So, last episode, which was a flyby, we talked about your, you know, availability and. My availability. Yes, your availability. Like romantically? Romantically. Okay. And I said, here you go, ladies and gentlemen. And I don't know if that was appropriate. <laughs> so if you get uh, requests from um, your friendly male friends, I I apologize.
0: I, I didn't notice that. It's I'm, I know. I'm, I was just interesting back. that you're bringing it up now in front of everybody. I know.
1: I I, I, feel, I feel like I should say something about it because oh. I felt kind of bad that you that's, didn't notice.
0: Did somebody say something to you? Um, uh, like <laughs> a young gent. <laughs>
1: Um, no, no, but okay. it, it was it was on my on my heart because oh, you know I was I said that and I'm, I was listening back and I thought that's uh, not a good pitch for
0: you. Oh, that's so sweet of you, guns.
1: So, ladies,
0: ladies exclusively. Ladies, on- sorry, fellas. Ladies only.
1: <laughs> I think, right? Yeah, okay. I just said it. Okay, good. Just don't wanna you know oh, double check.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. Uh, make sure to tune in next time. But until you do, ladies, think outside the cage.